Thank you for tuning in to Zealous Talks. We're on value number three, talking about disciple making. But let's start with what it really is to be a disciple. Here's Neeraj in this talk titled, Follow Me. So, we have the five core values that we've spoken about briefly. Uh, the two values which we've covered extensively over the last one month, God-centeredness, community, and today we will be doing two weeks of disciple making and as the theme goes it says mirror Christ and multiply lives <clears throat> and I thought before we can set out on a journey to look at what disciple making is let us first look at what being a disciple is a disciple maker you could draw a parallel to someone who is a teacher and before we become teachers, we've got to be students ourselves, and sometimes that goes hand in hand. So let's start off, and uh, let's look at the definition of what a disciple means, first and foremost. Who is a disciple? The meaning of the word disciple, as per the dictionary, is, is someone who is a follower, or pupil, of a teacher, leader, or philosopher. Someone who is a disciplined learner. This is one of the key characteristics of being a disciple, a disciplined learner, yeah. which means that if we have to be disciples, if we have to be learners, we should be teachable. So that is the first trait of being a disciple. This evening, we'd be looking at the scripture passage from Matthew. We'd be looking at Matthew 16 verses 24 through 27 and uh, we're going to be breaking that down into two parts. <clears throat> the first part is verse 24, 25 through 27 would be the second part. Verse 24 and there are a few words that are underlined here. For now we're just going to read through it and then after a while just keep these words in mind because each of these words are key references. They're going to help us understand what Jesus is saying here. And even before we dive into this verse, the Gospel of Matthew has been written by Matthew, obviously, who is a tax collector. And back in the days of Jesus, tax collectors were looked down upon, spoken about in the same breath as sinners and tax collectors, primarily because they were people, Jewish people, who had betrayed the Jewish race and in a way the sense was that they collaborated with the Romans and they'd gone against them. So the feeling of traitorship did come across strongly. And when Jesus looked at Matthew and said, come follow me and he did follow, many of the other people looked and wondered why this Jesus is calling upon or calling, you know, calling Matthew to follow him, someone who is a sinner, someone who is a tax collector. And we look at that as we go, go, you know, uh, go further. But I just want us to keep this context in mind. So let's read from Matthew 16, verses 24 through 27. We're reading from the ESV version tonight. The word says, Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. And these are the words of none other than Jesus, whom we are worshipping tonight. And we have put our faith and trust in him. Even as we look into these heavy words, we cannot possibly try to understand what God has written without looking to him in prayer. So let's just bow down our heads and ask him for grace and ask him for an understanding. Dear Lord, we thank you, Father, for this time that you've given us to look into your word. Father, we pray, Lord, that you open our hearts and you open our minds to understand the context of what you're telling us, to understand the true meaning and the application of it today, Father. Father, even as I speak, Father, I pray that you take over, you take control, Holy Spirit. I pray for each and every one of us. I pray that you make our hearts receptive to your word. Let us understand and let us obey and let us put it into practice, each and every word that you've said in this gospel. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> so the first part that we spoke about, the verse 24, is, is ideally a command. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So these are imperatives which we have to do. And of course, there are three things here. Deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. And I, I want us to notice the first word of the key verse is then. It says, then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whenever the word then comes, it certainly means that there's something gone on in the preceding verses which has set the context for our key verse right now. So, to get a better understanding of the context, let's look at the prior 10 verses from the same chapter, Matthew 16, verses 13 to 23. And we're going to read from <clears throat> Matthew 16, verses 13 to 20. Take a pause and then read the remaining three verses, right? So, Matthew 16, verses 13, we start, it says... Now, when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, This is Jesus. But who do you say I am? Simon Peter replied, He is one of the first disciples of Jesus. Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I can tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. We pause here for a moment and I just want us to observe this very famous incident that's gone on in these eight verses where Jesus asks his disciples who they think he is. And Peter, without a shadow of doubt, without even thinking, replies, you are the Christ. And let us notice he said, you are the Christ. The word Christ means saviour, the anointed one. 
and this would have been an alien idea in those in that day and time in that day and age till this point in time because no one had completely understood what Jesus was there to accomplish at this point in time because even as Jesus is speaking these words even as he's asking the disciples to take up their cross he's not yet gone to the cross so the idea of taking up their cross the idea of whatever Jesus laid out there i'm sure none of them would have understood and even before that even as peter declares that you are the christ jesus you know like he he says that assures peter he assures him and says that i will build my church on you and what a great blessing that is and a blessing that comes from no one else but from jesus himself jesus himself says these words to peter now keeping this in mind let's read verse 21 to 23 <clears throat> and this is immediately after now we do not know the time gap between the two but in the bible it's immediately after so verse 21 says from that time jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised and peter took him aside this is the same peter and began to rebuke him saying far be it from you lord this shall never happen to you but he turned to peter but he turned and said to peter this is jesus get behind me satan you are a hindrance to me for you are not setting your mind on the things of god but on the things of man this just blew my mind this is the same peter the same man who was just blessed and was given the assurance that the church will be built on him within a matter of a short time he goes from being blessed to be to being rebuked by jesus the question we ought to ask ourselves is why and we will be able to relate this to ourselves as well because this was not only peter this is the story of each and every one of our lives the why i try to figure that out to the best of my ability which is not very good but what i thought is despite the profound insight peter had just had regarding jesus's identity and despite the savior's promise to build his church upon that truth peter had shown a desire to follow his own will regarding this instead of god's will because verses 13 to 20 jesus clearly says it is not you it is my father who's revealed this to you and that was the spirit who revealed this to peter and then verses 21 to 23 jesus again rebukes peter because peter turns to his flesh to his weakness and says you cannot do this probably because he loves jesus probably because the jewish people thought of the messiah to come and you know just overtake everything and you know come in a very powerful way and bring them out of the captivity bring them out of the misery they were suffering at the hands of the romans we don't know the exact reasons but it's just amazing to see how in such a short span of time different things can happen the same person this was the context and immediately after verse 23 we dive into 24 to 27 which is our key verse i want us to go back to that and now relook at those verses and now i want us to focus on those words that have underlined and as i as we read this passage i want us to repeat the word underlined together then 
then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father, and then he will repay each person according to what he has done. As we discussed, verse 24 is an imperative command. It has three aspects. Deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Deny ourselves, take up our cross and follow him. Follow Jesus. 25 through 27 have the following ideas, the three fours, which I call. First, let us look at verse 24. Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, that word indicates that this is a choice. So we have a choice today to follow him or not. It is our free will, but the consequences are inevitable. We're going to look at that later, but it is a choice. God doesn't force ourselves, force himself on anyone. We choose to believe. He's done it for us, but we choose to believe. We make that choice. We must willingly choose and must carefully consider, think about the cost of it. There is a cost associated. We will look at that because that verse itself has the cost. The moment we accept Christ as our personal savior, we are reconciled to God and we are children of God. But can you imagine? We are all born children, right? You're born a child. Even when you're 30 years old, you're still a child. That's, that's weird and absurd. <laughs> to some of us. <laughs> we must grow up from being children. We must progress to being disciples in our walk with Christ. We're going to break that down into three parts. Deny himself. What does that mean in the context? It means submitting my will to the will of God the Father to place my desires, our desires, our wills on his altar. Jesus modeled this himself. Now many would argue and say Jesus was God. Yes, he was. He was the son of God. But he says, no one comes to me if it is not my father's will. One such example is seen when he's praying in the garden of Gethsemane just before he's going up for crucifixion. Matthew 26, 39 says, and I'm going to paraphrase this for you. Matthew 26 verses 39 to 42. Sorry about that. It says, My father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. My father, if this cannot pass unless I drink it, your will be done. This is just before Jesus is going to be crucified. Not my will, but your will be done. How often do we say this or pray this way? Even as I was preparing for this sermon, I was challenged. More often than not, it's my will over his, but it should be the other way around. 
It is not wrong for us to have desires, wants, but we are and we must, like our master, be able to lay that down on the altar and say, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. So when it comes to denying ourselves, is it just saying no or is it something more than that? I believe it's something more. It's not keeping our hearts empty as a vacuum, but it is to fill ourselves with God. A new self-denying self should love Jesus and his word more than anything else. That is what denying ourselves mean. means. It means we must love God, love his will more than human approval, more than the wealth, more than comfort, more than the cars, more than the big houses, more than our ambition, more than our career, more than getting good grades, more than wanting to get married, more than anything else. Jesus should come, forward and come first. And that is where you look at the order of our values. God-centeredness is first. There is a reason to that. Last week, we concluded our second value of community. We looked at the letter of Ephesians and we looked at chapter 4. The book of Ephesians has six chapters as written by Paul. The first three chapters are indicative and talk about all that God has done for us. Where Paul continu- continuously reminds the church of Ephesus about his goodness, his mercy, his grace that he's bestowed upon them. The next three chapters, of which chapter 4 is the first, are in the imperative of what we must do because we've been blessed with his mercy, grace and goodness. Chapter 4, verses 22 to 24, in Ephesians, Paul talks about, and we spoke about this last week, Ninath covered this last week, putting off our old self and putting on the new. Because we have so freely received God's goodness and through Jesus we are now forgiven and reconciled to God, we must put off our old habits and our old ways of the world, our sinful ways which we were once in before we came to Christ and live like new people in the spirit. This is what Paul tells us. We can think of this in this way. The putting of our old self in essence could mean denying ourselves of which Jesus is speaking of. Denying our old ways, there must be a break with the past. Jesus cannot be just one of the things in our life. He isn't just merely added on to our life the moment we accept him. The old life must die. He becomes our new life. Not only is the giver of new life, but he is our new life. There is room in each life for only one master, and we've heard this so often. Matthew, earlier on, he speaks about how we cannot serve two masters at the same time. And we've seen a clear example of this in Judas. He betrays Jesus for a few shekels. If God is to rule in our lives, then our will must be made subservient to his will. I was thinking of this example, stumbled upon this example, and it was so amazing. Think of a prisoner who's released from prison. He's been in prison for 10 years. You know, remember though, you watch those old Hindi movies and you know, they have those white gowns and you know, those horizontal black lines, those prisoner garments, yeah, vertical lines. Yeah, <laughs> uh, <laughs> Think of a prisoner who's released from prison. He's out, but because we are all creatures of habit, right? But he still wears his prison clothes. 
and acts like a prisoner. Not as a free man. What is the first thing that we would tell him? Hey dude, what's up with you man? We've come for coffee and why are you wearing your prison clothes here? Are you out of your mind? But just imagine that's become habitual for us. For us, in case we were in prison, it would have become habitual. For that person, it's habitual. Get up every morning, change his clothes, but it's the same prison clothes that he wore. What do those clothes signify? They signify bondage. Someone who was enslaved. Similarly, now, as we have been released from prison, if I can draw that comparison, that parallel, as people who were once in bondage to our sins, we must daily put off our old self, deny it. We must daily consciously make the choice not to put on that prison dress and not to go back into our old ways, not to put on our old self, but to put on the new self, to deny our old self. That is what Paul is talking about and that is what Jesus is speaking about. I believe what Paul spoke about was on the same lines. There's only one master, right? That's Jesus. Deny ourselves and instead exchange it. We must deny ourselves of the same old ragged clothes and exchange it for the glorious clothes that Christ has purchased for us. Why not? It's difficult because we just get into the habit of wearing the same clothes. But, but, but let us not do that. Let's make that conscious choice daily. What does this look like? If we deny ourselves, we're therefore saying we put God first, God-centeredness, others second, community, and ourselves, before that, no, last. In every aspect, in every area of our life. Denying ourselves requires us to give up anything that we would want or seek that would hinder our doing the will of God. Again, this does not mean that us wanting something is wrong. It must that we would want Jesus and we would want God more than anything else. We must be willing to give up anything in case we want to be his disciples. But as we read, denying takes discipline, right? A disciplined learner. A discipline under the lordship of Christ. He is the Lord. He is the master. We cannot have other masters. Not money. Not our career. Not our studies. All those things flow from the imperative. They flow from God's grace. They are blessings. And God does bless them with us. Bless them to us. And we have them. We will. He knows what we need more than what we want. And that's what he gives us. We cannot do it on our own strength. This is difficult. But we need God. We'll burn out. We need the strength of the Holy Spirit. Just as we saw in Peter declaring that you are the Christ. That was not his own flesh. That was his spirit. The spirit of God. That's what we need. In John chapter 10, Jesus speaks of a shepherd and a sheep. Jesus uses this figure of speech where he is the good shepherd and we are the sheep. Jesus says, and let me paraphrase this for you, that my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. What does that mean? How can we hear his voice? One of the primary ways, primary ways we can listen to him and recognize his voice is by sitting at his feet, 
reading his word from the Bible. We have to listen for which we have to read, for which we have to be disciplined, for which we have to be teachable, for which we have to be learners. And then what? That's it? No, we have to obey. That is the most difficult part. It's not intellectual. It's much more than intellectual. We saw that with Peter. Paul again in, in Romans says, I appeal to you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. That's an oxymoron. You're living sacrifice. Can you, have you ever thought of that? You die to yourself. You deny yourself while you're living. Holy, acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. You lift our hearts to him. I'm the worst of singers here. For people who know me, I'm pathetic at it. Thanks for the encouragement. <laughs> but God looks at more than the voice. He looks at the heart. Secondly, we're going to look at taking up our cross. So once we've put off our old self, once we've taken the decision, conscious decision to do that, we take up our cross, bearing of the cross or cross bearing. Now, we have to bear in mind that as, as of the time Jesus is saying these words, he, had, he has not yet gone to the cross. And what the disciples know and understand of the cross is not the way we look at it now. The significance of the cross in, do, in those days could be summarized in four points. Opposition. A cross was used to execute criminals who had the state of Rome in opposition to them. Shame. The execution was reserved for the worst of the criminals. And the victim was usually naked on cross for hours. Suffering. This kind of execution was designed to prolong excruciating pain. Death. The aim of crucifixion was death, not torture, followed by release. Therefore, when Jesus said that the way to follow him was to take up your cross, what he possibly meant was this, be willing without murmuring or God criticism or cowardice to be opposed, to be shamed, to suffer and to die, all because of our allegiance to him. Not because of our own whims and fancies, not because of some whimsical thoughts that we've had. No, for the gospel, for him. Or, if you look at it another way, taking up our cross means to treasure Jesus more than we treasure human approval, honor, comfort, life or wealth. Our suffering cannot be a tribute to Jesus unless we endure it. Because we cherish him. We cannot just go on a suicidal mission and say, hey, you know what, Jesus asked us to suffer, to die for him, to take up the cross, so here I am. That's not wise. It's only and only if we do it for the gospel and for the love of Christ, we must be ready to bear our cross. The cross in those days was an apparatus of execution. It was not just a burden to be born. It was an instrument of death, total sacrifice. So taking up our cross refers to giving your whole life to God 
as Jesus was about to give his life for you and me. Because he was subservient to God the Father. Luke, in his gospel, he says, take up your cross daily. Daily. There is a sense in which we as disciples of Christ must give our lives to God every day. Conscious decision. We wake up in the morning, brush our teeth, get ready for work, for school, for college, whatever it is. Similarly, this must be a conscious decision that we must wrestle with. To say, God, here I am. Your will and not mine. This is not necessarily a physical death as Jesus died for us, but a daily total sacrifice to the will of Jesus. Whatever he wants in my life is what must be done with it. What I want should no longer matter. Now, you would ask me, why doesn't it matter? I have wants, I have desires, of course. And more than I know it myself, God knows what you want. It is a matter of trust and faith to say, God, you know what I want, you know what I need. And his, his plans for us are far greater and far mightier than we can ever imagine. The cross we bear should also be a blessing for others. How? How can it be a blessing? The same cross that signified opposition, shame, being hung there naked, suffering, death. It has now to us become a symbol of forgiveness, atonement, grace and love after Jesus bore it. We see how the cross which represented death by the most painful and humiliating means has become to us a love of grace, a sign of love and grace. So just as Jesus bore the cross for us so that he could point us to God, we must also do the same. We must also bear the cross, deny ourselves so that it can help others to know God, to know the one true living God and be a blessing to all. I love how Paul puts it in the book of Galatians 6 verse 14. Paul says, Far be it from me to boast, boast, except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The same cross, which was shame and suffering, pain. Paul is talking about boasting in the cross. How much more should you and I boast in the cross? Not in our own selves, but in the cross, because he has made it possible, everything. We so often say he will provide for us. But you know what? Here's the, here's the news. He has provided for us. He has provided for us. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. The third part of follow me. <clears throat> In today's day and age, we hear this term so often, right? Hey man, are you on Insta? No, it's a question. Are you on Instagram? I am. None of you on Instagram can please raise your hands. All of us on Insta, right? I love Insta. Facebook is passe. No? <laughs> How many followers do we have? 
think about it <laughs> think about it how many followers do we have how many people are we following on insta usually it's like you know what i want people to follow me but i'm not going to request any followers it should look cool i should have 2000 followers but i'm following two people or three people because you know like you know i'm right up there man and it happens we have people creating business out, out of social media and that's nothing wrong it's good we must make wise use of the resources that god has given us but in today's context we talk about hashtag #follow me this is not the kind of following jesus is talking about <laughs> imagine if jesus was on insta how would that go <laughs> yeah but jesus wants us to follow him and forsake our old ways we cannot follow him and follow our old self too jesus does not want us to follow him as one among many hey you know what i'm going to follow jesus but at the same time i'm going to give all my life all my energy to making all the money that i want i'm going to have no time for god who are we really idolizing here who are we giving more importance to here is it jesus are we god centered as a community and trust me as i was preparing for this i was challenged i was really challenged these values they are the heart of the gospel they start right at the old testament love the lord your god with all your heart soul mind and strength love your neighbor as yourself it doesn't say love yourself no god loves us that's all we need he wants us to follow him wholeheartedly not half heartedly we have to keep walking as we follow him with our gaze gaze firmly fixed towards the cross again we cannot do this in our own strength for we will surely burn out or fail if we become people who are religious in the sense of trying to tick off boxes we start practicing christianity i have to deny myself i have to bear my cross i have to follow him you can't you can't in your own strength i'm sorry you can try we have to submit and surrender to him and ask him to take control say lord here i am use me not me but you so therefore he is not only the source of direction he himself is the provider i love it how jesus says this and nenat touched upon this now first value god centeredness one of our favorite verses as a team john 15 verse 15 jesus says i am the vine you are the branches whoever abides in me and i in him he it is that bears much fruit for now this is the stark part apart from me you can do nothing does it say apart from me you can do everything go for it kill it no you can't do nothing <laughs> only if we abide in him it's not just you know i come to jesus whenever it's convenient i go back 
I follow my worldly desires, I get my car, I go after riches, I come back to Jesus, I'm back. Doesn't work. It's only Him. So as Jesus has asked us to take up the daunting task of denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him, we have to abide in Him. And He is not asking us to do something He Himself has not done. We learn by observing, right? And He's gone before us. He's done it. Jesus has already gone and done what He's asking us to do. He denied Himself, took up the cross to be put to a horrific death for you and I. He has shown us the way. He is the way. Therefore, we must follow Him as He has gone about. Jesus encourages us as disciples not to be ashamed of the cross, not to be ashamed of Him but to follow Him wholeheartedly, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following Him. We look at the second part, verses 25 to 27, we speak about the three fours. These are incentives. The moment we think about incentives, we think about moolah, right? Benefit, W-I-I-F-M. How many of us know this? Corporate guys? What's in it for me? What's in it for me? <laughs> this is what Jesus is saying this is what's in it for us three fours following ideas motivation and the best part is he's not just saying because I am God you do it he's reasoning with us imagine his patience imagine his love he's reasoning with us verse 25 he says for whoever would save his life will lose it but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it as we looked at verse 24, which is the command, talks about cross-bearing, talks about embracing opposition, shame, suffering. All this for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. In this verse, he says, whoever loses his life, whoever saves his life, sorry, will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake, not for anything else, for my sake and the gospel's sake will find it. What is this he's talking about? It's quite confusing. Save is leading to lose and lose is leading to save. This is weird. It's not actually. Let's look at what he says. He's talking about save. He's talking about if I have to avoid all those things that the cross stands for. Opposition, shame, suffering and dying. I'm going to avoid it. I don't want it. I'm too scared. Or I don't want to follow it wholeheartedly. Or if I say, I would rather pursue acceptance from the world, I would rather go after earthly glory, comfort, safety, wealth, then I'm surely going to lose my life in eternity. That is the life he's talking about, the eternal life. So losing our life, as mentioned the second time, therefore, is taking up the cross. Because the first losing is Doing the opposite. The second losing is doing what he's asked us to do, to take up the cross. Deny ourselves. So we must accept and be ready, be willing for opposition, shame and suffering for Jesus' sake. And he will provide. We don't have to do it in our own strength, we can't. Here's a wonderful promise that Paul writes in his letter to Romans. Because, he says, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, 
God, God raised him from the dead. You will be saved. You will be saved. So we need not worry. We do not need to attempt this in our own strength. Well, I just realized you guys have gone awfully quiet and I, now, I, now I know why, why Ninat keeps saying, you know, like, talk back to me. <laughs> I feel it. Wait, talk back to me. Is it making sense or not? Oh, okay. <laughs> so we move on to the second incentive. Verse 26. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? This is a question. But it is a rhetorical question though. But if this question were to be answered, it would probably go like this. There is no profit in gaining all the money, all the wealth, all the acceptance of society if you don't have Jesus. There is no profit. If you pursue all of that and not God, there is no profit. That does not mean that we shouldn't have these things. It means that we should seek God first. The question is, is all of this to feed self? Our, you know, our money, our wealth, our house, is it, is it to feed ourselves, our own flesh? Or are we ready to lay it all up at the foot of Jesus and say, God, if you want to take it, take it. Because I know you've given me something much more glorious than this. Do we love Jesus more than all these things? Do we live to please God or please ourselves? The question I want us to think about today is, what are you living for? Are you living to please yourself or please God? It's a question for me too. It's a question for all of us. Verse 27 finally says, For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. This verse is a comfort for those who believe and a warning for those who do not. If you remember, we spoke about the cost, or rather the choice, if you desire. You remember that? The first word underlined after then. Can we go back to that verse? If anyone would come after me. It's a choice, right? We said we have to take that choice. So in, 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 in the last four, for the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father and then he will repay each person according to what he's done. What Jesus is referring to over here is if he's chosen to follow me or not wholeheartedly. It's a choice, but consequences are inevitable. But it's... It's a beautiful choice that we must make and that we've made. And I believe that even as we're sitting here this evening, most of us have either chosen to follow him or are contemplating it. And I just want to encourage you to say that, let us choose him. He will never disappoint you. He never has and he never will. Finally, I just want to as I was preparing for this, I was reminded of a song. The beginning of my journey with Christ, I'd heard about the story, the backdrop of the story, and it really moved me. And I wanted to share this with you guys. Is that okay? I'm not going to share it if no one says. Yes. Yeah? Yes. Okay. 
<clears throat> it's a true story. It's a little heavy. All the disciples that went after Jesus, some of them were beheaded, hung upside down. They died horrific deaths. Some of them were tortured. But let us look at something closer to home. About 150 years ago, there was a great revival in Wales, in the UK. UK, right? As a result of this, many missionaries came to the northeast of India to spread the gospel. The region known as Assam was comprised of hundreds of tribes who were primitive and aggressive headhunters. Into these hostile and aggressive communities came a group of missionaries from the American Baptist missions, spreading the message of love, peace and hope in Jesus Christ. Naturally, they were not welcomed. One missionary succeeded in bringing a man, his wife and two children to Christ. The man's faith who was converted, who accepted Christ, proved contagious and many villagers began to accept Christ as their Lord. Angry, the village chief, the head of the village, summoned all the villagers. He then called the family who had first come to Christ to renounce their faith in Jesus in public or face death or face execution. Moved by the Holy Spirit, the man instantly composed a song which became famous down the years. He sang. This is a song I'm sure many of us have heard and sung. He said, I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. Enraged at the refusal of the man, the chief ordered his archers to arrow down the two children. As both boys lay twitching on the floor, the chief asked, Will you deny your faith now? You have lost both your children. You will lose your wife too. The man sang these words in reply. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. Though no one joins me, still I will follow. No turning back. No turning back. The chief was beside himself with fury and ordered his wife to be killed too. In a moment, she joined her two children in death. Now he asked for the final time, I will give you one more chance to deny your faith and live. In the face of death, the man sang the final memorable lines. The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me. No turning back. No turning back. He was shot dead like the rest of his family. But with their deaths, a miracle took place. The chief who'd ordered the killings was moved by the faith of the man. He wondered, why should this man, his wife and his two children die for a man who lived in a faraway land on another continent some 2,000 years ago? There must be some remarkable power behind the family's faith. And I too want to taste that faith. In a spontaneous confession, he declared, I too belong to Jesus Christ. When the crowd heard this from the mouth of their chief, the whole village, the whole village accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior. This song is based on the last words of Nokseng, 
a man from Garo tribe of Assam in India, close to home, right? It is today the song of the Garo people. This evening, I just want to pray that God gives each one of us the strength through the power of God, the Holy Spirit, to commit to following Jesus, not over convenience, but to commit to following Jesus and being His disciples for the rest of our lives. I pray that we too, with the same conviction in the most difficult of times, can say that I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The cross before me. The world behind me. No turning back. Let us consider these thoughts. Let us consider what a glorious future lies ahead with us. That Jesus has promised a reconciliation with God. Life everlasting. Nothing, nothing compares to what He's done for you and I. Nothing compares to what all the pain that He's borne. Nothing compares to the love that He's shown upon us. It's a beautiful promise. It's a beautiful assurance. And there's no two ways about it. There is only one way. It's Jesus and Jesus alone. Hey, thank you for joining us today. Go ahead and follow us on Instagram at Zealous Pune or visit us at our website, zealous.community, to know more about us. 